do come in. You are most graciously welcome to Tens on Tens, a girl talk comedy podcast in which two tens make top ten lists about whatever they choose and shoot the shit, as it were. So procure the libation of your choice and, pardon my candor, sit down, shut up, and listen. Here are your hosts, the debutantes of debauchery, the queens of crass, the mistresses of muckrockery, Emma and Lo. All right. Hi, Tens. Welcome back. Um, it's Emma, if you didn't know by now. Um, I'm so excited to have you here with us today just because today's kind of a bit of a special episode. Um, and I've been excited to bring it to you for a while now. It's kind of been in the works for a few weeks. Uh, we love making top 10 lists for you every week. Uh, but today, I kind of wanted to expand on the idea of Tens on Tens a bit. So um, if you don't mind, we're going to kind of deviate from our normal list structure even though it's kind of what we've been going for. But I do want to talk about why we kind of call ourselves Tens on Tens. So I'm excited to share our guest with you today. But before we introduce her, I thought it would be a good idea to kind of talk about the name just because, you know, we've been doing the show for about a year, a year and a half, and we haven't really gone into it. So I think it would be a great opportunity to kind of discuss it. So our show is called Tens on Tens because we like to make top 10 lists, obviously. And we, as well as all of our guests and all of our listen listeners, happen to be complete tens on the scale of attractiveness. Um, but, you know, we know it's so much more than that. Uh, the one to 10 scale was originally designed by men to communicate a woman's attractiveness to one another. You know, it's simple, silly, stupid, and ultimately a little sexist. You know, uh, now, of course, this scale has been used to describe men as well, but we definitely know that it wasn't created for them. So why do we use such a sexist moniker to refer to ourselves? I don't know about you, but I find a lot of power in reclaiming a concept that was originally created to downplay a woman's self-worth. After all, we are brought up to value our appearance over all else. So being a 10 is the ultimate goal women should strive for, right? Now, you and I know that women are so much more, and each and every one of them is uh, full of unique, interesting qualities that make them brave, kind, smart, driven, and so many more things that I could spend all day talking about. Uh, but frankly, if we add all of our fantastic qualities up, they'd equal something that was just way higher than 10. So calling ourselves a 10 is even an understatement. But in my eyes, it's safe to say that bare minimum, everyone is a 10 if they let their best self shine. Now, here's the thing. If I had to pick a metaphor for the female experience that reflects this concept, I'd want to talk about underwear. And I know that that sounds weird, but please hear me out, okay? I promise I have a point. Think of all the jokes on Twitter about women not being able to fit into their teeny tiny panties that are offered from stores that are allegedly aimed at women. You know, think about the acrobatics we perform to squeeze into constricting shapewear to fit a certain body standard. Or, you know, the painful red marks that impress themselves in our skin from underwires and like steel lining. I know that when I take off my bra at the end of the day, I'm like, ugh, a new person. Tight lacing and bra burning have been subjects of debate among feminists since corsets and bras became mainstays in our society. So it's not really hard to see how underwear has, in a weird way, come to encapsulate the strange and often conflicting way women are represented in the world of today. So... Women's underwear has symbolized so much in our world, whether we realize it or not. It's something that can either make us appear more modest or emphasize our desirability. Think of how the garter belt was invented to help keep women's legs covered with stockings, and now they're pretty much relegated to most lingerie racks. It's kind of silly. Oftentimes, men, at the end of the day, become the target demographic in women's underwear. 
and women and their needs are simply forgotten about in order to cater to male desire, which we simply cannot keep doing. It's ridiculous. Luckily, in the past few years, we have witnessed a bit of a renaissance in underwear. Body positivity and size inclusivity have opened so many doors for businesses and customers alike. But what is fascinating is how undergarments are often a unique indicator of where we're headed socially as a culture. Change really does start from the ground up, and what better way to build a foundation of acceptance and self-love with women everywhere than with foundational undergarments? So this brings us to our guest. Marnie Rabinovich is the founder and CEO of one of my personal favorite brands, Thigh Society. She's been featured in the Today Show, as well as several publications like the Toronto Star, Forbes Magazine. While not a traditional underwear retailer with your standard bras and panties, Thigh Society stands out from the rest with its focus on undergarments that are designed to be worn like a second skin to prevent that painful rash that we have come to know as the dreaded chub rub. I know I've definitely suffered from it. I love her product so much that I reached out for an interview and Marnie was lovely enough to say yes. So Marnie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to be here. And I'm really happy that you agreed to hop on the show today. I love getting the opportunity to discuss interesting topics with women who are not only, you know, badass, but successful pioneers in their industry, you know, kind of experts in this niche field that's always really fascinated me. Um, so I wanted to kind of start off small here and just kind of gauge your personal story with Thai Society. So my first question for you is, what was the inciting idea or was there an event that inspired you to start this whole thing you've created? Yes, there was. Uh, I was a girl with a problem, quite frankly. I had experienced chub rub, you know, my entire life. I've been calling it chub rub my entire life. <laughs> and right, some people I know take offense to the term, but I find it a little bit endearing, almost cute in a way, even though chub rub is not cute. Um, That's <laughs> And I knew, uh, first of all, I knew that chub rub had nothing to do with my weight because I had mm -hmm. had a history of uh, disordered eating and my weight fluctuated quite a bit between a size six and up to a size 14. And no matter what my size was, my thighs would always touch no matter what. Mm -hmm. And my skin is sensitive. So whenever there was heat or moisture or friction present, I would get a rash. So I knew that I was not that girl who could go bare-legged with skirts and dresses in the spring and summer. And so I had a drawer full of a couple of really old bike shorts that I would wear always underneath all of my yeah. skirts and dresses. And they were oh, yes. usually black, right? Like black, yep. spandex, sometimes shiny, very not breathable. Ooh. Um, not ideal, but you know, I was holding on to those pair like for dear life because I didn't know where I'd be able to find another, another pair. And these were my solution to wear under these skirts and dresses, quite frankly. Um, anytime yep. you would have seen me wearing a skirt or dress, I would have lifted up and shown you that's what I was wearing. <laughs> Um, I had tried yeah, I a lot of, right. Yeah. Um, I had tried a lot of the creams and gels and powders, uh, nothing ever worked on me more than about 10 minutes. I guess I'm really sweaty because I needed to reapply them all the time. And it was actually, uh, this is the store that sort of started the idea for Thigh Society was one of the first hot days of spring slash summer here in Toronto. Uh, mm. We like to joke that our seasons go from directly from winter to summer. There's almost no spring. So you don't get that adjustment period. Um, so I got excited. I put on a dress for the first time that season and I went for a walk on my lunch break in downtown Toronto. And it was within about 10 minutes that I started to feel this familiar feeling between my legs. And I realized, oh, I forgot to put my shorties on. Like, mm. I forgot my bike shorts and so I actually ran to a nearest pharmacy I grabbed like a quick fix some baby powder brought it back to the office it was a disaster white powder on my black dress everywhere you know I was shaking my fist in the air literally like there has to be a better way and so that summer set me on a quest to find basically a pair of long leg boxer brief underwear 
for women. That was my goal. My goal wasn't to start a business. It was, let me see what I can find because surely there should have been some progress in undergarments since I last bought these bike shorts. And surely I should be able to find a comfortable long leg boxer brief that's going to meet all my needs. Well, don't you know, (laughs) I spent the whole summer looking um, and I couldn't find anything. The only thing available was men's long underwear, uh, shapewear, uh, mm-hmm. which I was like hell to the no. Uh, and I'm not, you know, I'm not super against shapewear. I think, you know, we could probably get into that in this conversation. There might be a time and a place for shapewear, but on a hot summer day on a ma- where you're wearing a maxi dress, um, I just didn't want to squeeze into something so constricting and not breathable. Um, and I was tired of cutting my leggings. I mean, I had tried every, you know, MacGyver hack out there, DIY trick to try to get some oh, coverage. Sure. And, and I just thought, honestly, you know, why isn't there something equivalent for women. Men have so many different leg lengths of boxer briefs. I didn't want a boxer brief for women. I didn't want a thick elastic band. I didn't want extra fabric and seaming on the front and sides. I really just wanted a second skin solution that I could put on and forget about it. And so that's ultimately what started the idea. I start, and you know, I won't go through all the details, but I ended up chatting with a lot of people, did a lot of research to figure out if there was anything on the market um, that would solve this need. There wasn't. And so I set out to create it. And you're so right. I I also had the same problem. You know, a little personal story of mine. I think after I graduated college, friends of mine went down to New Orleans to celebrate a little bit. And it was so fun. But, you know, Louisiana is not known for being tepid and, you know, <laughs> cool. Uh, and it was, you know, on Bourbon Street, the middle of the night, my friends are having a blast and I'm just in agony. And and immediately led me to figure out, like, there's got to be something for this. This is a ridiculous problem. And you're so right, because men have so many options. And yet they're the ones wearing pants and shorts all the time. They don't even need them. And that's silly. So I I can't stress how how much buying your shorts changed my life. And I don't like to talk about, you know, products that I don't use, you know, especially on a podcast. Everyone thinks it's, you know, you must be, you know, doing an ad for them. No, I think this is an important conversation to talk about. So um, you know, kind of in that vein, I think, you know, how do you think talking about this kind of stuff is important mm-hmm. just in general? Like, do you think that, you know, these discussions about inclusivity have kind of changed the industry a little bit? They definitely have. And I mean, having this conversation is one of the main reasons why I started the business. Yes, I needed this product. I clearly needed something that right. was lightweight, invisible, second skin, all of the things. I had to meet all the check boxes. But fundamentally, what I picked up when I started chatting with other women when I started this business was the shame around this mm. totally normal condition of the human body called sweating. <laughs> you yeah. know, it's crazy because we put on deodorant every morning because we don't want body odor. And there's no shame associated with putting on deodorant. It's just a thing that we do. So sweating, you know, between our thighs is just a thing our body does. And when I first started the business and started the idea for the business, I realized, you know, what what has to be central to this is destigmatizing this totally normal skin condition and disconnecting the skin condition from the idea that you have to lose weight in order to solve it. Because I really resented, right? That I really resented that people, when they talked about it, not only were they ashamed of it, but they immediately followed it up with a, well, I guess I just have to lose 10 pounds. And it was just automatically, it was it was assumed that you had to lose weight in order to get rid of, of your thigh shave. And actually, you know, even if you could magically diet your way to a thigh gap, which is actually mm-hmm. impossible, in right. most cases, like, you're going to be very ill if you even try it, um, you know, like having thigh shave itself or having 
uh, lack of a thigh gap is a genetic thing. It's a totally normal part of your anatomy. It's the way you're built and it's your skin sensitivity. So I started also realizing with people that, you know what? I would speak to women who were size two who would complain about chafing. And I would talk to women who were size 22 who would be like, I've never had chafing in my life. And I was like, we need this to be more known. We need to, you know, completely myth bust all of these false beliefs that people have about, about thigh chafing and what it means. And we have to stop connecting this perfectly normal human problem to the issue of how we feel in our bodies. And this was Mm. 2008 when I started having these conversations. So, you know, this is a long time ago. Instagram was just barely, I think it was just starting. And so, you know, I had started to follow a lot of uh, body positive influencers. I feel like the term body positive maybe has a little little bit of a dirty word now, but Mm. back in the day, there were pioneers online who were women living in bigger bodies uh, dressing confidently and sharing beautiful photos of themselves, just existing in their bodies and wearing what they wanted. And I felt so empowered by those women. I mean, and and I had my own body image issues and I'd struggled, like I mentioned earlier with disordered eating and seeing these women just live their lives, um, and not apologizing for it was, was really empowering. And I knew I wanted to, have a business with purpose that would contribute to this conversation and help women of all sizes um, just try to realize that we are so much more than our bodies um, and that we shouldn't have to, it shouldn't be a big ask for us to put on clothing that is comfortable, um, that allows us to focus on the task at hand and not self-objectify. Because if you're putting on some tight undergarments, like you're thinking about your body, right? You're thinking about it as you put it on, you're probably having, if they're not conscious thoughts, they're certainly, you know, uh, subconscious thoughts about, oh, I wish I didn't have to be, I'm using air quotes right now for the listeners, have to be wearing this, or, you know, this is so uncomfortable. How am I going to pee later? Oh, I can't wait to take this off. Or, you know, you're having, enjoying a nice meal. And all you can think about is how you're exploding out of your shapewear. You know, all of those little, you know, those are like microaggressions of our environments against us. And they take us out of being mindful and present and enjoying life with our loved ones and enjoying what's happening around us. And so I knew that I I really was passionate about all of these things and how they fit into this, you know, kind of simple concept of just giving women a long leg underwear solution, right? Like it is simple. That's what's so crazy about it. Like I can't believe it hasn't been really done before. And I, I like that you brought up the concept of, of shame because there is so much of that and, you know, not necessarily just with, you know, you're having a chub rub and being kind of chunky or like, you know, anything like that. But even just like if you wear bike shorts under your pants, God forbid somebody sees them. Oh my gosh. But at the same time, they're also giving us a layer of protection from people seeing our undies. And it's like that we can't win, you know, it's one, one or the other. And I even find, mm-hmm. you know, when I wear shapewear that it might solve one problem, but then it causes another one in another place. <laughs> exactly. Not that there's any problems for real. And I've given up on it entirely, especially yeah. since I got these things, like it's kind of crazy. <laughs> Um, so you mentioned that, uh, you think that body positivity has kind of become a little bit of a dirty word and I, I can totally see where you're coming from in that regard. Um, it's been really cool to see how the world has kind of shifted its mindset just in the past 10, 15 years, you know, being in the like early two thousands during the Paris Hilton era was really rough for anybody that wasn't a size two, as we all know, and it's gotten so much better. So if you remember those times you know, it's gotten a lot better, but it's still not there all the way. Body positivity has done quite a lot to open up those doors. But why would you say it's kind of taken a bit of a downturn lately? 
So I go back to sort of the roots of, of body positivity and I, you know, won't, I'm, I'm not so well versed in to be able to give a history lesson now on the, you know, fat positive movement, but there's plenty of, of research mm -hmm. and, and info online. We even have a blog about it on, uh, on our, our blog site. But when body positivity as a hashtag first started, when Instagram was first starting out, it was really about women coming forward who were living in bigger bodies, who felt that they did not see themselves represented in mainstream media, in marketing. They were always relegated to some stereotype or trope in a movie and were relegated to wearing baggy moo-moos and women were coming forward using Instagram specifically as a platform to say, you know what, I want to wear a crop top and short and short shorts or a short skirt. Like I want to dress how I want to dress. I don't care what society tells me I quote unquote should and shouldn't wear. And so that fundamentally is where the body positivity movement started is to give visibility to people living in bigger bodies, um, you know, people in, you know, marginalized communities, um, non-white people in a lot of cases, but, you know, fat, and I use that word with complete neutrality. Um, I, love, people, I love the fat. Right? Just like, that was the point. And I think over time, you know, the movement has kind of been embraced. Uh, the positive side is the movement's been embraced by many women, um, sometimes maybe unfortunately skewed towards thinner white women who are, mm. you know, complaining about some skin rolls. But the issue is that women, myself included, if I have a bad body image day, you know, I can dress myself in a way that no one in society is going to judge me for my body. I have a very socially acceptable body. Um, I don't struggle, for example, uh, on, on public transit to fit into a seat. I don't go to my doctor and, and get told that the first thing I have to do is lose weight before I'm going to be given any proper, proper medical care. And so I think that, you know, as women, given that all women are targeted from, you know, for diet culture, uh, it's a great thing if we have more voices in the space calling out diet culture and, and having this feeling of body positivity. Um, I prefer body neutrality and, 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 and other terms, but I also feel like if women are going and women identifying people are going to sort of jump on the train of body positivity and body neutrality, we also have to check our anti-fat biases because this is where the movement started. And so the movement has now helped so many women of all different sizes, but there are so many women living in larger bodies that face discrimination, right? Still to this day. And they can't just cover that up with some shapewear or, you know, true. or control tummy, to, you know, control top leggings and, mm -hmm. and walk out the door. So I think, I think it's like, that's sort of where my, it's not a struggle. I think it's great because we could all use more, um, more, more, more awareness of how diet culture impacts our life and sets unrealistic beauty standards on all of us. But we have to realize that it affects all of us. It affects all of oh, us yeah. and all of our bodies. And not all of us have the luxury of just sort of, you know, turning that off and, and, and going out into the world. Like some people really face discrimination on a regular basis. Oh, you're so right. And I, I used to get so frustrated with like the Instagram posts that people would make pretty well intentioned. That would be like them bending over and being like, look, I have rolls. I'm like, girl, you got rolls when you are in one yoga pose that is not the same. Like, <laughs> exactly. Um, exactly. Which is so frustrating. Um, exactly. But you know, I definitely can get that that concept of like where something is kind of co-opt by a group that it, it doesn't necessarily represent. Um, and you know, as a white woman myself who I've always considered myself plus size, but in the past year and a half, um, due to medical reasons, lost about 60 pounds. And it was enough to kind of just 
you know, shoot me right into standard sizing. And Mm -hmm. the way that not only people treat me differently, the way people talk to me about it differently is insane. Mm -hmm. The amount of comments that people feel like they need to make because they think they're giving you a compliment is crazy. And at the end of the day, all it does is just kind of like sink into your head that like, oh, you were judging my body this whole time. And that's, that's upsetting more than anything. Um, and, you know, I think that any type of fat person is dealing with that, but and the, then, then just straight up hatred and vitriol <laughs> yeah. from people. Yeah. And it's crazy when you have standard sized people who are like, well, sometimes people tell me to eat a sandwich. So it's like, you know, me too. I'm like, babe, I need you to, to rethink that one. Okay. Um, so I do think you're totally right. You know, there, there's lots of companies, especially, I think that would kind of snag on to the term body positivity. Um, I remember specifically, this was traumatizing for me because I was a teenager when American Eagle was like a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And all my all my friends that were standard size would be, would be able to, you know, buy jeans there. And they just straight up didn't carry my size. And I think it was around when I was in college that they started marketing with Iskra Lawrence, who's a plus size model. Mm-hmm. But they would never carry the plus size jeans in the store. And Ugh. so it was just like Ugh. the same thing with a mask yeah. of positivity. So yeah. no. my follow-up <laughs> question for that is because there's so much of that going on, how do you keep your particular brand so uh, earnest and, and mm-hmm. you know, d- not fall into that trap? Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for saying that. I appreciate that. Um, and, and I should have hit on it earlier. You know, when I first started, I did mention how I really resented the fact that there was this automatic assumption that thigh chafe affected only plus size people. And mm-hmm. I knew this not to be true from myself and from, you know, my research with friends and family. So uh, I set out, how do we keep it earnest? I mean, we've been size inclusive from the beginning. Um, when we started, uh, we were going up to a 2X back in 2009. And that was because uh, when you're starting out and you've got to manufacture inventory, you've got to figure out, you know, cost of inventory and you have to make how many colors are you going to do and then how many sizes. Mm-hmm. And so very quickly the costs add up and we're a bootstrapped company. So I've been, you know, and we still are 13, 14 years later. <laughs> so that, that factors into all of our decisions of what, what can we do? What, you know, and if we're going to launch a new product, even now it's, can we be size inclusive from our extra small to six X? But uh, as the years went on um, and we started to grow, uh, we also switched our manufacturing practices a little bit uh, and ended up moving overseas because we could not find machinery here in North America that would allow us to make our shorts up to a 6X. We were finding, yeah, it's, really? uh, yeah, for, for real. I mean, I'll tell you, to be more specific, you could find, we could find the machinery, but there were cheats in the manufacturing process. And I like to give the example of like a one size fits all stretchy mm. ba- bandeau top or leggings. You know, I don't know about you, but anytime I'm no. on a one size fits all, it's a no, right? Like it one fits, size fits most. Maybe. Yeah. One size fits. I'm always like one size fits one. Like it was designed to fit right. one size and it was then designed to sort of stretch on either end of like a bell curve, if you can imagine. Mm-hmm. And so sure. when when we wanted to continue to expand beyond a four X to a six X, um, looking for the machinery that would allow us to do that while maintaining the integrity of our products and not have them. I mean, they're very stretchy as you know, if you wear them, but you know, we didn't want someone feeling like they had to squeeze inside one of them and we didn't inside the garments. And we also didn't want to compromise the, you know, the, the fit overall. Mm. And so, but with our seamless knitting manufacturing process, we actually have, 
one cylinder size of our machine. I'm getting really technical here. I'm going to try to dial no, it back. No, I want to know everything. <laughs> it's fascinating. Um, well, we have one cylinder size, like per size. So some companies who make our size range, um, who might offer, for example, a much less expensive product, cheaper made, cheaper yarns, might be using three cylinder sizes to produce a size range that is six you know, six sizes of a range. We make, we have seven cylinder sizes for seven machines, meaning we're not trying to squeeze a 5X woman into a, a, a machine that's intended to make a small medium. And so that was a deliberate decision uh, yeah. on my part and my design team's part. We also don't grade our garments traditionally on like a, a Judy model. We don't use a small medium as our baseline. We, we grade for plus sizes. So it's all of these little things that one can do in the manufacturing process to ensure that you're taking your customer into account, no matter what size she is. I mean, we're, I'm answering this question in the context of, of size inclusivity. Sure. Um, and I can't control what other brands do, but I know that I like to run my brand very ethically and I have integrity. And so, yeah. and if I were that customer shopping, regardless of what end of the spectrum I was on size wise, I want to buy a garment that was made to fit my body. Not that I'm trying to squeeze into because it was made to fit, you know, people who are 80% in another size range. Sure. And so from, from a product perspective, that's how we've managed it. And then We've also made it a point to showcase and have from the beginning diverse models on our website. That's a place to yeah, start, you know? I love <laughs> um, that. I love you that. Know, I didn't realize it was so revolutionary back in 2009. Um, you know, it was a wow. photographer. Yeah, we were, we've been doing this for a long time, right? Good I mean, and this was, I had no idea. <laughs> spectacular. Yeah. We always just felt it was the right thing to do because if you mm -hmm. put yourself in the shoes of being a customer, don't you want to see yourself represented mm -hmm. on online. And I mean, this was yep. in fairness, this is back when the internet was, was, um, was obviously still, a th still a thing. It was, sorry, not still a thing. It's still a thing. It was, baby. Uh, it was still a baby. It was still a baby. Amazon was still a baby. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I got met with a lot of skepticism when I started, like, are people really going to buy underwear online? Like, don't they need to feel that in the store? I mean, look at it now, right? We buy it. What don't we buy online? Right. Right. But Foundation. I mean, Right, exactly. That's the only thing you need That's to go in that, or you, you buy a few. You buy a few and see what matches. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it's it's really um, being size inclusive is baked into the brand and has been since I was the only employee since since day one, and that's because it's important to me because I'm putting you know myself as the face of the brand out there, and I I genuinely care about the solution that this product offers our customers. I genuinely sympathize and empathize because I was customer number one for these products. Ugh, I can't even tell you how, how wonderful it is to hear be, for lots of reasons. Obviously size inclusivity is really important to me and I automatically want to be a part of a company that uses it in their modeling. But to hear that you've been doing it since 09, that's crazy. <laughs> I love that. Amazing. But I feel like we're also in kind of this hustle culture era where people mm -hmm. start businesses just for the hell of it. And they don't really give a crap about, <laughs> you know, who their audience is, what's happening there. They're like money, 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 money. And, you know, lots and lots of things as we keep going. And as, you know, the economy is getting really kind of rough, especially down here in mm -hmm. the U.S., you know, people cut cut corners. People don't care. Sustainability is really not important to a lot of people. And mm -hmm. that's a huge other problem we talk about. But mm -hmm. I think that at the end of the day, the best advertising is just having a good product and giving a crap and people don't seem to do that. So I have a lot of respect for that. I think that that's spectacular. Um, my, my next question for you is, is kind of related to that. Um, 
we're shifting gears here a little bit, but chub rub or thigh chafing or whatever you want to call it seems like, you know, it's a very common problem. Why do you think it's been so ignored up till this point? Um, I think it, it had been ignored for years and years because the prevailing solution that was expected by big brands was that, well, it's a niche issue. I don't think it was believed to be a huge problem. And the solution Mm. was there's shape, there's shapewear. I mean, you want your long leg underwear, wear shapewear. I mean, you get, you get a two for one, you'll get the leg coverage and then you'll get slimmed. And isn't that what every woman wants to be slimmed and shrunk and made to feel smaller? I think, you know, in a very simplistic explanation, I could say, I could say that. I think also in the world, it's much easier to start a business and it has been in the last 10 years than it was 20 or 30 years ago with the advent of online shopping. So when a lot of very big brands are holding you know, most of the brand power in the marketplace, it, sometimes these quote unquote niche products aren't worth it for them to go out and test the market because it's just not, if the perception is that this is a niche product and not a lot of people are going to buy this, if we're doing well with the products we already sell, why would we even try to go into that, you know, that Isn't realm? Isn't that funny? I mean, yeah. to consider something like that niche seems so silly. It's almost like, yeah. you know, how women are. One time I was called a minority for being a woman and I was like, <laughs> Are you stupid? That's ridiculous. <laughs> um, so it's stuff like that where like stuff gets overlooked because we don't necessarily put those thoughts for it. And obviously not sure. just women experience this stuff, but it is yeah. mostly women because we're just naturally a little bit, you know, a little bit fatter because we got a little bit of stuff going on and that's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But I wanted to kind of, I guess the, my phrasing is a little uh, not specific here. So let me kind of narrow it down a little bit. Okay. It seems like while a lot of stuff is designed for women, I kind of mentioned this in the intro originally, right? Yeah. It tends to shift. The audience tends to shift and it becomes a lot about the men. And so mm-hmm. we have lots and lots of underwear companies and I'm sure people have seen like the downfall of Victoria's Secret. That's mm-hmm. kind of been a big major talking point lately. Like, how do you think that that's going to I guess, change in the next few years? Do you anticipate a huge shift or is it people getting fed up with it because body positivity is getting, you know, there's a whole lot of layers to it, I guess. There's so many layers. Yeah, no, there's so many layers. I think, I think the advent of social media has helped propel conversations about what women want Mm. uh, in their clothing and how women want to feel forward a lot faster than when we didn't have social media. Um, because anybody can become an influencer now. Anyone can get a following on TikTok. I mean, I'm making it sound so easy. It's not content creation. <laughs> it's, it's very difficult. <laughs> I respect people that do it. But I think, you know, brands didn't always necessarily have that direct feedback channel to their customers back in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, right? 90s. Mm-hmm. So they had to rely on, you know, purchase data and maybe some like old school mechanisms of getting feedback from customers. Now you could, we get feedback from customers in real time on the daily, right? We get them from our, you know, inbound from our, uh, from our email, from our socials. We know what our customers are thinking about our products and we're all users of social media. So we all, my team and I all see what's, you know, what's trending, what people are talking about. So I think it will be interesting. I think over time that like, and in the last decade, for sure, brands have been forced to adapt. I mean, look at Victoria's Secret. They, I mean, COVID also interfered with a lot of this. So we always have to sort of caveat that, right? Two years plus of not doing a lot of things. But I mean, Victoria's Secret took the heat for their non-inclusivity of sizes, their runways being non-inclusive because 
the people rose, right? Like the, the, you know, you had the songs like, um, I forget the name now, but it's Victoria's Secrets and this Jax, I think is her name. Oh um, yeah, I know the one. Right? Yeah, well, like it talks about how the CEO is totally a dude. Yeah, right? and like I mean, I used to have this conversation with friends. They're like, "Are all the big brands out there run by like a bunch of men in a boardroom who are guessing and trying to anticipate what women want?" And I mean, a lot of the reality them. is, a lot of times they were. A lot of times they weren't. I mean, Spanx was founded by a woman, a very, very mm-hmm. the world, arguably the world's most successful woman, um, who built an entire empire. Uh, you know, on on the premise that women need to squeeze and contort their bodies into undergarments in order to feel better about themselves. <laughs> so That's we true. can ask ourselves that, and, and I can I can debate both sides of the coin, right? Like, it's not that shapewear uh, is inherently bad. If shapewear gives someone confidence and allows them to feel comfortable, shapewear is not always for body slimming. A lot of people wear shapewear for compression because they've got, sure. you know, conditions that allow them to or require them to, to need that. But I think it's really more about all of us sort of waking up to asking the question of why. Why do we want to put this garment on? Are we looking to for it to make us feel a certain way? And what are we looking for it to make us feel and why? Right. And the more that we yeah. can become more, I think, self-aware of the, our intentions behind what we're doing, the more we can be, you know, I guess, empowered to make our own choices. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I, I, I guess the frustration that a lot of people feel is when you go into places like a Victoria's Secret, for example, mm-hmm. and, that, and, you know, we're not trying to just pick on them because they have gotten a lot better. But, sure, sure. you know, if, if you want like a T-shirt bra. Or a push-up bra or like mm-hmm. strapless bra or whatever. And you go in there and then you are just bombarded with like bombshell, push-up, like lace <laughs> extraordinaire. Right. Like everything has to be so in your face about it. And I was thinking about it the other day because it's like, you know, we're sacrificing a lot of like utility, which is what these things were designed for, to do mm. what exactly, you know? And it's it's our underwear. Not many people are seeing it. Um, and I, in February, there was actually some discourse going around. Um talking about the pink tax, which has been talked about for a while. But in the US, um, you know, women's underwear is actually taxed at 3.5 higher percent rate than men's underwear, which is so stupid. Um, And it's not in Canada, which is, I'm happy for you guys. That's great. (laughs) Um, So I'm thinking like, what possible justification could there be? Are we as a society viewing them as like a luxury item? That Mm -hmm. seems ridiculous, you know? It does seem ridiculous. Oh my God. I mean, I, I, well, I comment now that I see a lot of, uh, I'll use a parallel example. I see, I see the advent and I see the advent of some underwear companies copying what thigh society has done. And we were, you know, we were the first size inclusive long leg underwear mm-hmm. for women that wasn't shapewear period full right. stop. Um, the yeah. only underwear that was made at the time when I started was exclusively for size 18 plus, And it was not performance underwear. It was like a cotton get granny panty that was, you know, right. going to absorb moisture, you know, encourage chafe actually, because you don't want that moisture stain against your skin. And it was mm-hmm. like, here's, it was like, why would you even suggest that someone who was a size six would need those underwear? Anyways, I digress. Um, <laughs> uh, what I was saying is I, I, I feel that I've seen some competitors start to uh, embrace the chafing messaging with essentially a silhouette of a men's boxer brief that is mm. pink or floral or... <laughs> <laughs> right. Right? And it's like, let's wear the underwear. And it's like, okay, cool. Like, also, sure, why shouldn't women have that same silhouette of underwear? Um, yeah. and if it is, uh, a performance underwear and it's made of high quality material and a fair factory and all the good stuff like that, then sure, you know, price it how you want. That's a business decision. So 
I don't know. I guess I'm, I, I, obviously I don't think that women's underwear should be taxed higher than men's. That's crazy. That's completely crazy. Right. I guess. But, but, I, but I'll make a distinction, I think, and, I, and I'm not defending Victoria's Secret in any way. But, sure. But Victoria's Secret and, and any brand for that matter doesn't owe it to anyone to be everything to everyone, right? So true. Victoria's yeah, true. Secret can say we are our brand is bombshell. That's our brand. We are about sex. We are about sexiness, you know, mm-hmm. confidence in your skin, doing what, you know, whatever, whatever that might look like for them. And they could make a business decision to stop sure. their sizing at a two X, for example. And someone somewhere up in the chain has to make that decision, right. Based on mm-hmm. who they want to target in their demographic. So I think it's like, it's easy. It's important for us to remember, like we as customers can take our wallets elsewhere. We can shop Great. at smaller brands that are startups and owned by women who, you know, decided to start these underwear companies uh, for reasons that we couldn't find what we were looking for at the bigger chains um, that sure. we didn't fe- feel spoken to or represented by their messaging. And I think there are yeah. so many amazing brands catering to women's underwear. You know, there's sexy, there's utility, functional, you know, all of the things. Um, and it's really just about us as consumers realizing that we have this power. And I also think, you know, yes, it's, I think it's good business to be inclusive. I really do. Um, but, but it's also personally important to me, you know, because I'm not just doing this for, to build a, a big brand. I'm doing this because it's important that our products impact people's lives in a meaningful way. Um, and yes, it's just underwear, but, but we take for granted, right. Until you've worn a pair of uncomfortable, um, underwear and had your night ruined because you can't think of anything else, but being squished or how you're going to take these off to go to the bathroom, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. or like doing mm-hmm. the duck walk home or the penguin walk mm-hmm. with your legs spread apart from something. And you're, you know, you had the best time dancing, but you're like, you know, you're not gonna be able to walk for the next few days. Like these are just, you know, <laughs> let's solve that. That's a solvable yeah. issue. <laughs> And I think that you kind of hit the nail like on the head with that, because I do think that when you have uh, inclusivity as a priority, not just in one company, but across the board, that really allows for new places to have specific, more branded and targeted things. And, you know, unfortunately, for so long, it was the opposite. So uh, it's really exciting to see that shift. And it's really cool to see it being led by people like you and companies like yours. Mm-hmm. So I, I love that. Um, and it kind of leads me to my last question for you here, Marnie. Um, but I just wrote this and it said, I'm obsessed with your shorts. I'm not, I have not made that, you know, a secret. Um, they've really given me a new outlook on life. I feel a lot more confident. I feel a lot more freedom, honestly, that I haven't been able to feel since I was a little kid, which is crazy Amazing. over something so small. Um, I just would like to know if you've had any other customers respond that way. Do you, do they have uh, stories for you? I'd love to know. Yes. Um, yes. And it's, it's honestly those stories that keeps me going on the tough days because it is really tough (laughs) to run a business. Um, but it's when we get feedback that says these have changed my life, you know, these are amazing. I mean, I have so many stories I can think of sort of non-traditional use cases. So we, we, I started the business because I thought chafe and this was my main solution, but our shorts are, offering people wardrobe freedom for so many other reasons. 
We have a lot of people yes. who've had who have sensitive scarring or surgeries or stitches mm-hmm. along their abdomen or even along their in, around their thigh area where these are the only comfortable, super stretchy undergarments they can tolerate. Um, and they need as a barrier between their skin and whatever is they're wearing um, on top of that. We have nurses, especially during the pandemic, nurses who are like writing us in all the time how these are amazing underneath scrubs because scrubs are notoriously non-breathable and often have a dropped crotch, right? So like everyone chafes in different spots, but a lot of people chafe in that little like little area, right? And right up at the very top of your thighs. And so how our shorts allow them to work these 12, 15 hour plus shifts, um, you know, being comfortable and dry we had a firefighter write in once how um her uniform was very hot and, and not breathable and she would get sweaty and chafe because her, oh, her wow. thighs would rub against the the uniform um yeah. you know teachers who are teaching uh young kids like kindergarten who need to bend down mm-hmm. and be on the ground in class and they're wearing our underwear as modesty shorts mm-hmm. that are super comfortable so i mean i taught middle school i know all about that there 14 you go. Old boys. Yeah, exactly <laughs> you know and I have, I have friends who's like preteen and teenage daughters even wear the shorts when they you know just want they want long underwear that doesn't leave any lines underneath their their skirts and dresses and you're certainly you know they're 12 they're not going to put shapewear on i'm sorry it, like, right Right. right? Yeah, you're so right. <laughs> and isn't it just absolutely crazy that it's just something as simple, not really thought about, and it, it just is important. And it is a real reflection of just real world stuff. And I think when women are inspired, engaged, and encouraged to succeed, then the world does better. And it really can start with something as simple as that. And I, I love to I love to highlight highlight that kind of stuff on this show. So Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for coming on. You've been amazing and insightful, and I would love to have you back anytime soon. Um, But I am just, I I can't tell you how how much I love your stuff. And like I said, I don't love to um, talk about products on the show. I don't use myself. And when I thought about thinking of, you know, oh, what kind of, you know, strong woman could I reach out to for Mm -hmm. this kind of thing? Your company was definitely the first one I I thought of. Um, So thank you so much. Amazing. It's an honor to be here and and talk about it. So thanks for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, With that, Tens, we're going to go ahead and wrap this up for you. A little bit of a shorter episode today, but you will always have more from us and hopefully from Marnie in the future. Uh, (laughs) If you want to go check out Thigh Society, check them out. They're online and they're fantastic, as you have probably heard on the show. (laughs) I will talk to you all later. Love you. Bye. It has been so lovely having you in for our little tete-a-tete. If you have any further tittle-tattles or salacious salutations, you may contact us on the World Wide Web at tensontenspodcast.com or you may follow the ladies on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at tensontenspodcast. That's 10S-O-N-10S-podcast or via email at tensontenspodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, ta-ta and toodle-doo!